Hello and welcome to Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack. This time I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Rob Blackie. Now Rob's been on this podcast before talking about political messaging, but this time we're going to be talking about some political adverts aimed at Russians that Rob is involved with at the moment. Before we get into the details of that, Rob, and maybe a quick recap for listeners as to what your background is might be useful. My political background is that I have spent about 20 years of being active in the party, originally working for the party in the Charles Kennedy era as a member of staff, heavily involved in our general election manifestos for 2001 and 2005, right at the centre of policy and communications. And then for the last 10 years, I have been a candidate intermittently for the London Assembly, very nearly getting elected last year. So I sort of know the London political scene quite well. In my professional life, I've spent most of the last 20 years thinking about using the internet to campaign in a smart way to change the world with all sorts of people. These days, I mainly work in the biotech world. So I helped a client yesterday announce a collaboration to make a new vaccine for shingles. My clients are also planning to develop a new COVID vaccine uh, to help vaccinate people in Africa. But what I also do as part of that is try and find innovative ways to campaign. And that's really where this campaign came from. And I think all of us have been horrified by the news from Ukraine and been thinking, what can we do? How can we help? Whether that's donations, whether that's uh, people signing up to welcome Ukrainian refugees to the UK, looking for you know, things to do. You've you've gone, you've spotted an opportunity for your sort of online advertising <laughs> expertise, haven't you? Absolutely. I think one of the key things is... Vladimir Putin is terrified of the truth. He knows if the Russian people know how badly the war is going, they'll be horrified. Russians normally think of Ukrainians as being quite culturally close to them, <clears throat> probably in the same way that most British people would feel about Ireland or most Americans will feel about Canada. In other words, they don't hate the country, they actually think that it's being a sort of friendly neighbour. So Russian Russian-Ireland comparison is actually probably the best, isn't it? Because I think there's a a, a sort of slight condescension of Russian attitude, at least amongst many Russian politicians towards Ukraine, which I'm sure many Irish people often feel about British politicians. I, see, well. I, I think that's often, I'm sure, going to be true when you're a large country next to a small country. Mm. It's very easy to be patronising mm. and you have to work hard not to be. And I think also, I think people forget there are huge numbers of conscripts in the Russian army. Mm. Uh, and in the 1980s, one of the things that contributed to the decline of the Soviet Union was their failed war in Afghanistan, where many, many Russians were forced to go and fight in Afghanistan, some of whom I've met while uh, I've been on holiday in, in, in the former Soviet Union. And they had obviously a horrible time. 15,000 Russians died for a pointless war. And I think Putin and the sort of Russian political elite know that if the Russian people hear the truth about what's happening, uh, they will be horrified and they're in some political danger. And because of that, what they've done is they've crushed all of the independent media in Russia. Now, even before the war in Ukraine, there weren't many independent media sources left, but there were one or two. But since the war has started, even those uh, have been completely crushed and shut down. You know, a law has been passed saying you can go to jail for 15 years for spreading misinformation against the war. That includes things like using the word war or using the word invasion. And I think we even saw you know, this week uh, a Russian uh, journalist 
you know, trying to protest against the lies she was being asked to tell, you know, being bundled off uh, TV for even talking about it. Or even uh, we've seen instances where Russian veterans have been on Russian TV and asked everyone to hold a minute's silence for the soldiers who've died in Ukraine. And they've been shouted down like they're somehow unpatriotic for caring about people who are dying in the war. So we know from all of that, that Putin is very scared of the truth and very scared of the Russian people finding out what uh, the truth is. So he's closed down Russian media and he's banned access to sites like the BBC. And so what we spotted, and actually I did a test on this eight years ago that I've sort of revived and, and made bigger, is that advertising on the internet is poorly regulated. Even in places like Britain, it's not brilliantly regulated. But in Russia, which is a deeply corrupt country, that means the, the government isn't actually very good at regulating things. So we can, we can advertise the news into Russia using all the loopholes that are in the censorship scheme. Uh, and that means we can show millions of ads every day to Russians that help them find uh, news. Uh, and we're putting news into the ads as well as creating ads that intrigue people and make them to click through and end up on independent news websites, which might be Russian language, but outside Russia, so they're not censored. Um, so, so far, we've managed to show those ads more than 27 million times. They've been clicked on more than 64,000 times. And we are confident we can keep on running ahead of Putin's censorship pretty much indefinitely because the sorts of bans we're hitting are the sorts of bans we think we can get around. And maybe I'll just tell you about those bans. Uh, there's some sorts of bans that basically say, well, you can't go to the BBC Russian website. And that's the sort of thing that China does a lot of. And that works quite well until people install a VPN, which you know, for the non-technical people listening, is basically just a computer program that hides your location. So you can pretend to, rather being in Russia, you can pretend to be Poland or Britain. And VPNs so, are very effective, aren't they? Because I know, you know, I've done a small amount of business sort of travel to China. And just when you talk to people about, you know, what advice have you got, you know, etc. Just the idea of, you know, you know, have a VPN is a very normal, normal, despite the very widespread and horribly effective technological expertise of the Chinese government at censorship. VPNs are really hard to stop, aren't they? That's right. And, and of course, the Chinese government is massively more competent than the Russian government. And it's also been trying to do this for 10 years. So it's got a lot of experience and it employs, I believe, a million people to do this. So they, they have a huge number of people doing this. So the first sort of censorship is a sort of a website. And people can get around those with VPNs. The second form of censorship is words. So the Russian government will say you can't use the word war or you'll go to jail for 15 years. Now, typically, people who, who you place advertising with will spot those words in two ways. Sometimes they'll just have a computer program that looks for it. So in my day job, I recently uh, was helping a client to make these COVID vaccines or are planning to make these COVID vaccines to advertise their work on LinkedIn to people who might be interested in it, mainly sort of people they might recruit. And LinkedIn's computers saw the word COVID vaccine or a phrase COVID vaccine and decided it must be misinformation and banned our ads. Now, that reminds me of a fantastic problem I once had when working at Lib Dem HQ, trying to run some online ads for a candidate whose surname was the same as an American brand of medicine. 
And it ran into exactly the same problem that the, in this case, Google's algorithms thought the adverts must be illegal medical advertising. That's right. And, and, and of course, with Google and LinkedIn, the way you get around that, there are two ways around it. The, the way that you, you and I would probably do most of the time is we would appeal it and it would get sent to a human somewhere who would review it and, yeah. and decide it's okay. But the other way around it, of course, is you can change words. So you can say uh, our special new medicine protects you from COVID. Or you can say all sorts of things. You can use different words to describe the same thing. And because computers are fundamentally very rules-based, unless they're highly sophisticated, they won't find a way, they won't spot your changes. So we have these sort of content bans, and we've got a number of ways we're working around those. Um, and then you might have what you call account-based bans, which is you consistently bend or break the rules as an advertiser and the people you're placing advertising with uh, ban. And as you can imagine, we're ways around those as well. And I think all three of those types of bans are problems for us, but all three of them we're managing to get around quite successfully at the moment. And I guess in a way that, you know, even in a world where there is much better regulation and also regulation that is being done for good, it's still really hard to get that right. You know, a good example is the, is the money-saving experts guy in Britain who is forever yeah. angry at social media companies for failing to ban ads that falsely use his image and his name to claim that he's endorsed some dodgy product. And actually, I, you know, I'm sure there's quite a range of views amongst listeners, for example, about what they think of Facebook. But clearly Facebook, you know, are not wanting scam ads to proliferate but they find it very difficult to actually properly crack down on them and that's with lots of really good people and huge budgets and the willing cooperation of the government the victims you know so i i can see why the russian government's efforts leave quite a lot of loopholes to exploit but presumably uh, presumably this is nonetheless still quite a difficult thing to do so it might be worth just you, you've sort of used the word we a, a, a bit. So listeners might be wondering who else is sort of behind this, this clever operation. Well, since we, so the first thing to say is we're quite careful about the identities of people working on this, some of whom have good reason to be scared of the Russian government. Uh, others, it's more, they would rather reduce the chances that a computer gets hacked at some point in the future. So, so on the whole, um, we only about three of us are actually in, in the public domain as working on it. But actually, we've got more than 30 volunteers who are directly working on the campaign. And then once they pull in their friends and colleagues and, and people like that, I suspect it's probably closer to 60 people are doing something sometimes on the campaign. So it's, it's, it's become in two weeks a mid-sized advertising agency. Obviously, uh, with some slightly less central control than you'd normally have in an agency like that. So we have one set of people whose entire job is to crack new ways of getting the ads out. So those, you know, stereotypically the pointy-headed guys who know how the ad platforms work, do this for a living. And of course, normally, of course, this is wonderful for them because normally they'd be constrained by ethics and not wanting to get banned forever. But because these are all platforms they probably wouldn't normally be using or, or they can do it in some way that doesn't associate with them, they can get to do all sorts of naughty things they wouldn't normally do. And, and I guess there is, I mean, frankly, it's a little bit of a badge of pride if you're banned by the Russian government in some way at the moment, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And so you've got these people who are, who are getting those ads up and running the whole time. And then there's a team of people who then make the ads to make them as good as possible. So that's people who make videos, 
designers, writers, Russian speakers, because of course we need to be have good Russian. I only have a um, C in GCSE Russian from uh, 1989. So I think uh, I'm completely incompetent in this, but we have obviously plenty of Russian speakers. And we also, of course, have people who are experts from regions give us cultural context and to give us ideas on which messages will be most effective. And we also have some fantastic help from Ukrainian marketers. So there are a variety of Ukrainian marketers, many of whom are working on Zoom from bunkers in places like Kyiv, who are doing a big marketing campaign for the Ukrainian cause. But a lot of the content they produce, we can use for our content or we can reuse for our content. Do you have a sense of what works at actually making people trust the content they see? Because I'm just, one thing that has struck me is how very lopsided my own social media feeds are at the moment. And in a way, you would expect that to be the case. <clears throat> but when I've then deliberately gone out of the way to try to find out, well, I wonder what is the Russia Today version of this? You know, what is the, the other story that, say, Russians might be hearing? It? It, it's really hard to find, which is interesting in terms of how quickly the Russian reputation for being this amazing online misinformation machine has, has crumbled. But I can imagine if I was to be on the receiving end of a Russian equivalent of the sorts of ads you're doing, I mean, I might look at them and I might click through them out of curiosity, but I would be very strongly predisposed just not to believe whatever yeah. it is. And, and, and there's a reverse problem for, you know, why, why should a Russian believe one of these ads? Yeah, I, I guess there's, there's two answers to that. One of which is on sort of standard metrics of when people see a video ad, do they watch all of it? When they see a, a sort of static ad, do they click on it? Those metrics are very strong, which is a good indicator that people find our, our content at least intriguing. Because we obviously then send them to third-party sites, we can't really see what they do, but we can hope that it's effective. I, I guess the second thing is, one of the things we can work out is, what is Putin most scared of from what he's banning, but also for messages Russian state media are putting out. And I think the key one that is actually where I have hope is they're trying to minimize the scale of this war. And therefore, the gap between the reality of this, something that's actually enormous scale, whether or not it's number of Russian tanks blown up or number of Russian soldiers killed, or even just uh, the number of demonstrations by Ukrainians in occupied towns against Russian occupiers. There's a the gap between that and what people seeing in Russia is huge. And so our hope is, firstly, when people see the ad, that might have a small impact on them. Secondly, if they go through to an independent news source, that might have more of an impact on them. But by sending them to independent news sources, we're also hoping that in time, they will repeatedly see this news uh, they will build a habit of going, well, I can see the Putin side of this argument. Let me see the other side and maybe check that every day. And if that habit happens, then that might change their mind over time or weaken their strength of resolve. It might make them more open to hearing from their Ukrainian friends and relatives and more likely to believe. So that's what our hope is there. And of course, it's it's basically impossible to quantify what the scale of Russian opposition is even right now. Because, you know, in a country like uh, Russia, if an opinion pollster rings you up and says, 
I would like to know what you think about war in Ukraine. And there's a 15 year prison sentence for saying the word war. Well, you're definitely not going to say I'm completely against it. This is a terrible war, <laughs> even in private, because, you know, there's a risk that somebody might come around and knock on the door and arrest you. And so we don't really know the scale of opposition. All we can do is try and strengthen it. And it's, it's, so to some degree, we have to work in the dark there. But what we can do is we can calibrate our content to what Putin's trying to ban. And the key thing he's trying to ban is an understanding of how large scale this is and how unsuccessful they are. And that's actually quite a hopeful answer in a way. I mean, I'll definitely plead guilty to desperately wanting to find bits of hope to cling to on the, you know, on, on the tragedy in Ukraine. But because I think but I think it is a slightly hopeful answer because scale is a really hard thing to cover up. And 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 I because it means that, you know, even international sanctions that in some way are relatively minor in their impact, like McDonald's branches closing. When you see a whole load of firms pull out or flights not running, there's a sense of this isn't just a minor intervention somewhere. There is, you know, even if you still get grumpy at the rest of the world for how outrageously they're reacting to Russia, it still gets the message through that this is not just a small scale. And I believe, by the way, on this note, that the single biggest thing that people are Googling for in Russia right now, uh, or searching for maybe because it's not just Google, is emigration. Mm. And obviously, skilled Russians are escaping the country in every direction. Some just to former Soviet Union countries, which are a bit safer, some are further afield. And again, I think that's a sign that the scale at which this is going on is very hard to cover up. Equally with the casualty figures, obviously we don't know how many Russian soldiers have died, but the Ukrainians say 12,000, the Americans say maybe half that, maybe 6,000, and the Russian government says 500. Now, for comparative scale, in the whole of the Afghanistan war in the 1980s, you know, eight years, I think it was, nine years, the Russians lost 15,000 dead. Yeah, and that's what really struck me about that Russian 500 figure, because I thought, you know, it, yeah, I, in a, I'm not an expert, and so I'm merely approaching yeah. this from a position essentially of prejudice, but I don't believe that Russian figure. However, you think if, if even the Russians putting a figure that is already up to a third of their total, you know, the total deaths in the Afghanistan war for them, then the true figure must be shockingly high already. Yeah. And I think that's, I think one of the big things is, again, remembering the scale of conscription in Russia, the proportion of people who will have a friend or relative who is currently a conscript is going to be quite high. And again, if you if they still have a phone, you're going to be phoning them to make sure they're okay. And if you don't, can't get hold of them, inevitably you're going to worry. And I think, again, that means there's going to be a lot of people who are very worried, who are looking for that news. And again, I think that's probably one of the reasons we get a very good response on our ads, is I suspect there's a large chunk of a population who want to find the news, want to find more news about what's going on, because they're concerned about it from a sort of more personal point of view. Yeah fascinating stuff. So how is all of this being funded? Well, we have done a crowdfunder. So if you look at my Twitter feed or Google, anything to do with and, me. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well for people. Thank you. Uh, you can find a crowdfunder. We've raised, I think, £37,000 as of this morning. It goes up by a little bit every day. When we get lots of media coverage, it goes up by a bit more. When we go on great podcasts like yours, I'm sure it'll go up by a bit more as well. <laughs> um, and 
roughly speaking, we're saying that it costs about £10 to get a 1,000 of our ads shown. It differs by platform, obviously. Some things are much cheaper than others. Some things are higher quality than others. But what I'm saying to the bigger donors right now is that we reckon we could probably spend £10,000 a day before we start to run out of places that we could currently advertise. Uh, and we're getting better at advertising every week. Yeah, we're finding more places to advertise. So, so as long as the war goes on, we will probably be able to spend all the money that people kindly donate. And of course, because everything's done by volunteers, 100% of the money that's donated, subject for tiny fees that go to crowdfunders, which is like a percent or so, all, the, all, the, all that money goes straight into the ads. And again, unlike uh, Vladimir Putin, at the end of our campaign, we'll be publishing all our receipts. So, uh, but, but yeah, so we 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 have tremendously good value for money right now, and we're extremely grateful to our donors because, of course, that's what's allowed us to to show our ads twenty seven million times so far. And I'm sure an awful lot of what you've learned about what works and what doesn't work has to necessarily stay secret, at least until at least for for a good while. But is there anything that's that you are able to talk about that's particularly struck you about what? sort of is or isn't working with the ad? I guess in terms of what is working, there is a hunger to know what's going on. Mm. And so therefore, almost anything we do, we've done so far has had a good yeah. response. And I, I, honestly, I don't think we've had anything that isn't working so far. It's just that some things are more expensive than others. Yeah. So of course, some platforms, we can shove a number of adverts down every day and then we just get to a maximum, we can shove them down and therefore we have to find another platform to get to more people on that day. So really, actually, everything's working extraordinarily well in the circumstances, despite the fact that every day we hit extra bands. Yeah, so every morning I wake up and I, I check my email and there are you know, emails from various places saying, yeah, this, this ad has been banned, this account has been suspended whatever. And I, I was just before I did this call, I was screenshotting them for the future. So that after the campaign, I could show quite how many times uh, we had managed to get banned over campaign by by how many different in how many different ways. There'll be, there, there will, I'm sure, be some interesting lessons for much more benign versions of internet advertising regulation and so on that you draw from all of this. It'll be fascinating to talk to you when thankfully, hopefully this is all over about yeah. actually what the lessons are, how you how we should for example, better crack down on those scam ads. Uh, Absolutely. Money saving expert in, in Britain, because that's, I suspect a lot of the skills that you're, you and your team have been learning through this, sadly, are ones that the, the scam in Britain are already, you know, already familiar with. Yes, I'm, I'm afraid so. Of course, some of the best people we've had advising us are people who have worked in tricky industries and have watched their less ethical competitors do things that are basically scams or similar, and therefore they've picked up all sorts of techniques uh, that you could use when you're not restrained by the usual uh, constraints. I, it must be, in a, in, a, in a strange sense, actually quite enjoyable, I can imagine, for those people of, of sort of having been frustrated a bit about being up against rivals using those sorts of tactics over the years, and now finally being able to sort of use those tactics for good to themselves. Absolutely, they're, they're definitely uh, gamekeepers turned poachers yeah. for this sort of campaign. Excellent. Well, I will include the link in the show notes to the crowdfunder. So hopefully listeners can help fund those uh, poachers turned gamekeepers to do even more good stuff. As, as I think you said, Rob, it's really hard to judge exactly what the overall impact is, but it feels like we're in a world where we just all have to try to do, do what we can 
And if some of it works, brilliant. If some of it doesn't work, well, at least we tried. And, And if listeners donate to a range of different things, hopefully some of them will be really effective. All of them will be attempting to do the right thing. And we can only hope that that helps bring a speedier and less bloody end uh, to what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. So thank you hugely for your time, Rob. Please do pass on my thanks to all of your all of your volunteers. I will do it. Um, and be really great to have you back on the show in at some point in the future to sort of do a debrief as to quite how it all went and what lessons we can learn from it. But in the meantime, very best of luck with your advertising. 